Today I talk with Johnny Longdon from Journey further about embedding experimentation into agile product development. My name is Guido Janssen and welcome to Zero Cafe, the award-winning podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of large and small optimization and growth teams and talk with their specialists about data and human-driven optimization. My goal with the Zero Cafe podcast is to make websites and the lives of optimization specialists a lot better. And we're doing this by spreading a mindset of experimentation and validation. You are a vital part in reaching this goal. And one important way for you to help is by sharing relevant episodes with your colleagues. And if you yourself are not subscribed yet, make sure you are by checking this in your podcast app. It really means a lot and your actions do make a difference. So thank you for doing this. In case you missed the previous episode, last week I spoke with Sumantha Shankar Ranariana, Senior Conversion Rate Optimization Manager at Kaspersky Labs, and we learned how Kaspersky approaches and combines zero for B2B and B2C, and how being a movie critic might make you a really great zero specialist. You can listen to that episode on www.zero.cafe or in the podcast app that you're listening with right now. This episode of Zero Cafe is made possible by our partners Online Dialogue, SiteSpect, Online Influence, Content Square and Convert.com. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 45. Johnny, welcome to the Zero Cafe podcast. And to kick things off, I'd love to know a bit more about your background and how you actually got started in Zero. Sure. Um, so I, I started my career in... Uh, well, I guess what now would be called data science, but we, we didn't call it that then. It was just called analytics. Um, yep. So I worked in sort of direct marketing and CRM um, and then became a kind of a consultant, really helping people with things like segmentation and propensity modeling and spatial analytics and things like that. And then I was working for an agency that was do, that did a bit of both of that sort of offline stuff and digital. Mm-hmm. And this was in about 2007 or something like that and um and i saw i just sort of just got exposed to this sort of world of digital analytics and um you know and and conversion optimization wasn't really a thing then it was like a b testing tools were just about emerging yeah um and i just became fascinated in that but particularly i saw that the people most of the people that were doing that sort of stuff had act- no actual experience in analytics so i thought it must be quite beneficial to take that real experience of analytics and put it with that so that's why i kind of crossed over into digital yeah. and um and that was that was a successful thing that kind of um uh, got me you know quite a lot further than most of the people doing it at the time i then ran analytics and conversion agency teams in a couple of agencies for about seven or eight years uh, most of that time was with a big global agency called rga um that i had quite out of new york and they're kind of um an innovation consultancy really. So whilst running a team, I then ended up becoming more of a management consultant. So I would fly around the world and help big organizations with their sort of internal setup for analytics and conversion. So people like Nike, um, this big Russian retailer called Nvidia, Manchester United, a few other companies like that. And, um, and then I had a baby, so I just couldn't do the travel anymore. So I wanted to go client side. So I did a stint at Visa working on uh, their um, version of PayPal called Visa Checkout mm-hmm. um, and then went to work for Sky and uh, Sky is sort of probably the most interesting part of my story, I guess. So Sky, before I worked there, had um, 
had real sort of fragmented different digital teams in different parts of the business. And for efficiency reasons, they wanted to put it all together into a center of excellence uh, in Leeds. And I was hired right at the start of that process um, with quite a broad remit, really, just about how, how do you make that sort of a thing commercially beneficial and how do you make sure it has good commercial impact? And because of my background, my answer to that question is you know, experimentation. So I built a, a, a big experimentation function there. Um, the really interesting part about it was because we were building this center of excellence, there was nothing legacy to deal with. We, you know, we were literally building everything from scratch, including all the ways of working for developers and the agile methodologies and everything from scratch. So it was a really interesting, great opportunity just to go, right, what's the perfect way that this should work and, and set it up right from the beginning. Um, yeah. and, and that's what we did. And so that's, that's still running a lot like that now, even though I'm not there. Um, that's by incidentally where I learned a hell of a lot about what we're going to talk about today, which is, you know, how do you, how do you properly integrate experimentation with agile? Um, yeah. and I learned that the, uh, you know, the hard way in some ways. Yeah, and, and Sky keeps popping up as positive examples, uh, of how to do, uh, zero. Uh, a lot of people uh, from Sky I see popping around uh, and, and talking about it uh, on uh, on conferences. Yeah, um, Opt Opt I um I bought Optimizely whilst I was there for Sky, and um, and they're a big advocate of what we what we built at Sky and how that works, and and you know from a process point of view how it works with Agile and stuff. Particularly yeah. because because most of our testing was server side testing as well, so we had the yeah. developers really heavily involved in. That yeah. using full stack and things like that. Yeah, and um, optimizing now uh, being bought by uh, by EpiServer. What, mm -hmm. what what was your first reaction to that? Um, I mean, I, because now uh, I you know now I run a consultancy and we work with smaller clients. We don't actually have any clients that have Optimizely because it's so expensive. Yeah. Um, and so I'm a bit removed from it really as a thing. So I don't know. I thought it was a bit odd. Um, this is. is you know, it's not the most obvious connection that you would make, but yeah. um, other than that, I don't know. You know, like I don't know much about the we'll about the ac acquisition <laughs> and what it will mean or anything like that. So certainly, I've I have heard some grumblings from people that they believe it will change things and stuff like that, but I don't know yeah. much about it really. <laughs> yeah, I've spoken to a couple of people that uh, almost no one saw this coming. <laughs> That's basically the, the main trend. Yeah, and. Um, uh, yeah, we'll see what this uh, brings. If if it will remove opt uh, optimizely from the uh, basically the open market as a free service, or if it's going to be connected to App Server alone, we'll have to see. I mean, uh, I actually have a, a scheduled um, a podcast with um, the CEO from uh, App Server, Alex Atzberger. So um, I'm going to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what uh, this is uh, uh, just an introduction how you got started with with Zero. Why are you still in Zero? Yeah, well, um, so I mean, I, uh, I just generally have this real passion about the whole thing, like I always have. Um, and part of that's fueled by the fact that I honestly think that n not very many people do it right <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, th there's, a, there's a whole range of what you mean when you say CRO, like a really big spectrum. And like, you know, you have at the bottom end of the scale companies who, um, you know, they've literally got somebody in the marketing team who very occasionally runs an A-B test in Google Optimize or something like that. And they can genuinely believe that they do CRO um, by doing that. And then at the opposite end of the scale, you know, you've got 
Sky all the way up to Booking.com and all the other big guys that people talk about when they talk about experimentation. And there's there's a whole range in between that. But the vast, vast majority of people um, are sort of at the bottom end of that scale and, and don't realize it. And that's just real sort of – it's really interesting for me. It's, really, it's something that I want to try and change. I want to try and open people's eyes to the fact that there's a better way to do it and that it has such enormous benefit as well. Like, you know, when you do it right and you get the right process behind it, it just can't not have a really, really massive impact and a really beneficial impact. And so that's actually really what drove me to to start Journey Further Conversion because, um, you know, I just I just want to kind of go out there and, and open people's eyes to it and get them to understand it. But at the end of the day, I don't know, like to, to really answer your question, it's just, um, and I'm sure a lot of people in CRO are the same, it's just there's something really really exciting about about running tests and about running experiments and proving things and and particularly not proving things as well because you know that one of the things that i always tell people is um the only really true thing about cro is that you know you can't really guess what's going to work you can't really um you know you can't really sort of second guess things and have best practices because at the end of the day things that seem really obvious um, will fail and things that seem really stupid will win and that is really fascinating and, and trying to understand why those things are like that and also exposing your own um, you know cognitive bias and things like that is just is just really interesting and yeah. exciting so for over 10 years now online dialogue advises about evidence-based conversion optimization with a focus on data and psychology we see that analyzing data and recognizing customer behavior results in a better online dialogue with your clients and a higher ROI. The team of strategists, analysts, psychologists and UX specialists gathers valuable insights in the online behavior of your visitors and together with you they optimize the different elements of your CRO program through redesign, expert reviews, A-B tests and behavioral analysis. For more information about their services, go to onlinedialogue.com. What do you say to uh, when you encounter a client uh, or prospect that that comes to you for for help, and they do this the like you said the marketing department very uh, distributed and they a couple of times a year they they run A/B tests and they think okay we we do zero already, but what do you tell them what is, what's zero really about? Yeah, so the 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 really interesting stat that I I very often start with is. Uh, from optimizely actually did this study so and you may know of it they gave um virtually i think all of their historical data from the whole platform to stefan tomka um at, yeah. at harvard business school and um and you know he was running he was running research on all sorts of different nuances of statistics and things like that but the overarching thing that he came out with which he mentions in his book is that uh, only one in ten of all of those tests historically that have ever been run on the platform came out with a positive result and um you know like another way to look at that so you know if you if you're an e-commerce director or any kind of website owner or whatever the other way to look at that is that Everything that you do to your website, you know, no matter how big or small, you're kind of you're making content changes. You're, you know, putting things through your dev agency, and if you're not testing any of those things, then there's a really good chance that nine out of ten of those things is a waste of money or a waste of time, or even worse, is damaging your revenue. Yeah. And that's what I try and you know get people to realise first of all is like, and you know, just by showing examples of things where, um, you know, where. It, it seemed like a no-brainer. It seemed like something that, you know, like you couldn't possibly not 
do that actually turned out to be detrimental, then they start to get it and they start to realize actually, yeah, you know, you, you know, everything you do to your outward facing website is a risk. Yeah. And then, you know, so CRO, which, you know, as we all know, is not a great term for what we actually do. Um, but CRO is really kind of risk management. You know, that is what it is. You are, you are basically making sure that what you invest in web development in is commercially beneficial and commercially impactful and uh, and not a waste of money so yeah. you know there's 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 a whole way of like also articulating the economics behind it of how you know you you know what you're effectively doing is you're not you you know number one you're not doing things that don't work but as well as saving the you know damage to your conversion rate and revenue and profit and everything that goes along with that you're also not spending the money in production web development to develop those things so you know there's a there's a whole sort of virtuous circle behind it. and even if you even if you spend money on cro in in done properly that should basically almost just displace what you would have spent in production web development on things that you're not you know that aren't going to work so yeah. it's not really a new cost it's just a more efficient version of web development and a less risky version of web development in a way um, yeah, and it's probably easier uh to validate things through through zero because you don't necessarily have to develop the whole product uh, absolutely yeah. or all functionality yeah uh, just to validate it yeah and that is it and like you know often often an objection would be well you know there's some there's just some big things that we know we need to do and you know we can't really test them because they're too big like we need to um implement paypal or we need to uh you know redesign the checkout or whatever and you know from there you can sort of say well wh why do you need to do that what makes you think you need to do that you know how do you know like uh and often like you know redesigning a checkout they're like well well it's just you know we haven't done it for a long time and uh you know nobody likes it <laughs> yeah. and it's like well who doesn't like it you know you don't like it well you know maybe your customers like it you know so yeah. um so you know you've got to go back to um you know really like you know you, you start with research you then start testing small things and again like you know a lot of people would test small things and then just implement them or not and move on. But the whole point should be that you are, you're building up this sort of ladder of learning. Like, you know, you test small things. If a small thing works, then that should give you an indication that that gives you the license to do a slightly bigger thing along the same theme because yeah. you've proven that there's a point in investing a little bit more time and effort in doing that. And, you know, eventually you might get to a fairly big project, which you're doing in production web development, and then you would feature test it you know, before actually releasing it just to make sure or to refine it. But by the time you've got to do that, you should have, you should have proven that there's a point in doing that piece of work in the first place. And that to me is, is what experimentation is. It's, you know, con conversely to CRO, which a lot of people use as like, you know, let's test these, let's hack these few things on the front end just to try and trick a bit more revenue out of the website. You know, really ex experimentation done properly is a sort of a canon of going from research to learning to the development of that learning to ultimately doing bigger things and bolder things, bolder bits of innovation, which ultimately cost money. But that's the point is you have, you have de-risked that money that you're spending. Yeah. Yeah, framing it as risk man management uh, makes a lot of sense, I think. Uh, we did an episode about specifically that with uh, Stephen Pavlovich. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll link to that in the, in the, in the show notes. And I, it wouldn't be the first time I, I get to a client and they actually 
because the the term experimentation for some people have has the connotation of actually being something that's very risky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it's it's the opposite. Uh, at least the way uh, the way that we uh, do it with uh, with uh, CRO. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think actually the the one in ten that you mentioned uh, from um, the the Stephen Tompkins uh, research, I think that, that might be actually there might be positive bias in there still because those are experiments that people consciously of course, <laughs> create yeah, yeah, in those systems. So it might be, one in 10 might be even on the positive side for, yeah, for the effect that, that all your changes have. Yeah, because you've got to think as well, like all those companies, they bought optimizely. So not only are they doing testing, they must yeah. be reasonably serious about it because they've got optimizely, you know. So yeah, and, and that means that they're probably putting a, a reasonable amount of research and yeah. data behind those tests. So absolutely, that that could be that could be positive or too positive even. Um, but the other the other the other thing, like I don't know. Um, ultimately, you're ultimately we're trying to persuade somebody like an e-commerce director or somebody relatively senior, um, you know, to to consider this and to consider you know the the transformation that goes with doing it properly. Yeah. And um, and I find the challenge is often that that those kind of people they have at some point sort of box ticked CRO by the fact that they've got, you know, somebody over there that does that um, or an agency that's doing a bit of that for them or something like that. And it's almost a kind of like, you know, um, you might have like a balance sheet where they've got, they've got annual budgets and they've got PPC, SEO, CRO. And by that fact, they think that they are doing CRO. And just back to what I was saying originally, there's so many different, things that CRO can mean but you know the part of the challenge is that you know they will think well we've got a CRO person we've got we've even got like a little CRO team so we've got it covered that's absolutely fine we're doing it and yet what what you're trying to get them to realize is that um it isn't a tactic that should sit alongside PPC and SEO it's a it's a whole way of life around how you do web development or even marketing as well in a way but but that's the difference where you know, you're trying to get people to say, and I'll say like, you know, so you've got your CRO, what what's in your roadmap for web development and where did that stuff come from? Because that's the thing, you know, they'll find that, well, we've got this roadmap for web development and there's a whole load of stuff in there. We did a strategy presentation at the beginning of the year and we've got redesigning the checkout and we've got, you know, new payment methods and we've got, um, you know, tech debt and all this kind of stuff in the, in the, in the roadmap. Um, and then there's also a few little things that came out of the CRO team. And you're like, well, if what you mean by CRO, if really, if you take away the term, what it really is, is simply using research and data to understand what you should do to your website and experimenting to validate whether you really should or not. That's all it is. So why would you do anything other than that? Why have you got some stuff here in this roadmap that isn't that, and then a little bit of stuff that is that, you know, that's, that's where you're trying to get people to understand. It's really, you go, you know, to somebody at that level, you have to go back to the economics of it and say, you know, you are, you effectively, um, doing this stuff, investing in web development, either with an internal team or an agency, and you have no real idea whether that stuff is going to work. So, yeah. you know, you've, pl- you've putting a massive risk on that investment by guessing 
and even though, you know, like they, they might not feel like it's guessing because, you know, we've had, they did all this work that said we need a new checkout. Well, you know. Well, the, the competitor is doing it, so it's not guessing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, <laughs> our, our checkout doesn't look like John Lewis's checkout, so we need it to, you know. <laughs> yeah, so. Exactly. And uh, so you, you just mentioned already uh, uh, that there, there's, uh, you can apply this to product and but also marketing. Um, how would you see it? Because today we're talking about how to embed the uh, this experimentation uh, way of working uh, into agile product development um how do you see this experimentation applied to marketing versus product yeah i think like um i think that all comes down to the process that you have and uh, you know what a lot of people what we talk about and what a lot of i know a lot of other people talk about as the sort of operating system um for experimentation which is really you know the systematization of how you go from research and data that understands customer problems and opportunities and things like that to ideas to experimentation and in that sense experimentation is really a, a, a word for validation and so if you take it to a slightly higher level where you're simply you know managing the process of research data and insight then managing the process of ideation and prioritization of ideas and what you should be doing and then doing some kind of validation in order to ensure that those ideas are really the right ideas before you actually push them out into the real world then that doesn't have to necessarily um, relate just to website content that can be you know marketing it could be um you know ppc messaging testing or all sorts of things um, and i mean you know in a lot of those channels you can do experimentation in the same way so i don't really see that you know you need to necessarily um limit it just to website content although of course that's where it is traditionally most used yeah. um out of interest like after i worked at sky i then went to be the e-commerce director of a a hotel company, a fairly large hotel company in the UK. Um, and what attracted me to that role was was that really was like an experiment, like, you know, it's an experimental job. Like what happens if I take this stuff and this way of working that I've built at Sky and apply it to everything? Because I ran the PL for not just the website, but all of the marketing and distribution as well. And um, and so I, I used the same process and used the same process uh, uh, system that I developed for everything and it worked really really well um, and that's now what you know we what we effectively sort of sell and help other people with uh, at journey further um, but yeah like it, it, it doesn't you know I think if you if you get hung up on the idea of an a b test and all the statistical significance and things like that which absolutely you should do where you can then it precludes you from doing other kinds of validation where that's that's really what it is you're doing you're validating ideas yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think it, it makes sense that uh, you start doing this uh, on your own marketing channels. I mean, that's that's where you probably have the most traffic, and in, in terms of zero, if that includes A/B testing, that that's where you have a lot of data. Mm. Uh, but of course, it, th those principles you can apply them to email, SEO, SEA, uh, product, uh, all your marketing channels. It, it's not ex uh, exclusive uh, for digital um, for your own website. Yeah, and and also like, if if you have a really good, well articulated um, sort of strategy for what performance means, like how you how you basically kind of chunk out performance into the different levers that you can pull in order to 
drive profitability for your business, then, you know, that will naturally cascade down into the different things that you do, into the different traffic drivers, different, you know, parts of conversion and things like that. Even if you're an e-commerce business into things like um, the distribution chain or, you know, the, the you know, uh, returns and stuff like that. So, you know, you, if you, if you can articulate things really well like that, then you've got a really good holistic view of what the business looks like in terms of what you can do to affect it. Then optimization in that, you know, in that pure sense of the word means you're going to try and optimize all those different things. Um, and then, you know, again, going back to the idea that optimization or experimentation is just, um, using research and data to understand where the opportunities are and some sort of validation to make sure that you know you're taking your own cognitive bias out of the equation yeah. then you can you should be able to do that for everything yeah and the validation doesn't need to be an a b test right I Absolutely, mean, that, that's yeah. uh, often uh, something that uh, uh, people use as a counter well we cannot do zero because we don't have the traffic uh, like we're business to business we cannot do uh, we don't have the traffic to do uh, a b testing and thus yeah. we cannot do zero yeah and of course and, and that's not true uh, that's never true really like you can you absolutely can do a b testing you just have to understand the statistics of it you know you have to understand the statistics well enough to know that there is a there is a place where you can accept much lower levels of significance than ninety five percent, as long as you you know using sample sizes in the right way and things like that, and you know testing on upstream metrics rather than eventual conversion and all that sort of stuff. You absolutely can do it, but even if like you know it gets to the level where you know it, it's really really imperfect, it's still better than not doing it. You know, it's yeah. it's still always slightly better than not bothering and just guessing. You know, and, you, and again, the whole point is that you start learning, and you you might run these tests that maybe they're not perfect statistically, but you will learn from the data that you get off the back of it and the post test yeah. research and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and assuming your your company grows and your marketing channels grow, you will prepare be be very good <laughs> in your preparation uh, for when the time comes uh, and and you can uh, run those tests. Yeah, absolutely. Or bigger test or more test. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we're here for, uh, to talk about uh, specifically your your uh, article about uh, embedding experimentation. Um, so first off, let's ask the question. I mean, this is uh, probably so embedding it in an organization uh, or embedding it into your uh, agile product development is probably in contrast to having it as a standalone team. Yeah. Um, so what are the differences there? Why, why should you go for uh, embedding it in your whole process? Well, just before we get onto that, there's a couple of things really. So uh, what, what sometimes what I mean when I talk about embedding it is um, at a simpler level than thinking about agile and, and sort of organizational structures and things like that, is simply having a really properly defined process for how you um, get something from experimentation into production development. And where that comes from is what, you know, we, we come across this a lot with clients that we have where, um, you know, somebody um, in, there may be sort of a CRO internal person or an agency or something like that. And um, they're running tests and some of those will win. And then, you know, they're effectively saying, this is one, you should push this live. And what you find a lot of the time is that that stuff can just sort of linger um, and not actually ever really get you know, produced. Um, and that's why you get this thing where you have people who just have tons and tons of tests running at 100% in their, in their AV testing 
platforms because they can't really get those tests pushed live. And you've got to think like, why is that? Like, why, why can you not do that? And it's because of a, you know, some sort of disconnect between the way that sort of production web development uh, operation and ultimately queue and prioritization is run and what those tests are. And, you know, for example, there are things like, um, you know, uh, a lot of the time, um, the, the output of an A-B test is quite a simple change. And um, developers, a lot of the time, don't really like to work on small things. You know, you can have a, an internal dev team and those developers may just naturally sort of gravitate towards like bigger, more interesting projects that yeah. are in, you know, particularly that involve them working in new and different code bases like React and things like that. Or Give, you know, give me a new framework and all that. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'll spend so, a couple of weeks. So there's, there's things like that that can mean that, you know, here's a simple test that, you know, is just a content change to a page. I need it pushing live. How that yeah. can just kind of linger. Um, similarly, you know, there are, there are things like the, the sort of hippo effect where um, you might have senior people just sort of saying, right, you know, I need, I need this doing now. And these are kind of bigger things. And those things will churn around the top of that dev queue. And so the CRO team are not really getting any traction because they're not yeah. seen as having the, the authority to actually dictate what should go through the production web development queue. And there's a ton of other things like that where, um, you know, it's very easy to overlook those things and just to then end up sort of, you know, for a CRO team or a CRO person, just be, you know, kind of, as I say, leaving everything at 100% because they can't really do anything else. Um, so that's that's sort of like the the, yeah. the simple thing is that, you know, you people just need to think about that, to think about what is the process. Um, I, I had this uh, with, a, with a company, uh, very recognizable, that all these, these changes that we... Uh, uh, suggested that came from uh, research uh, and, and uh, A/B test were all added to the bottom of the of the of the queue for the for the development. Never really got uh, to the top. And after a couple of months of implementing nothing, uh, suddenly conversion went down because they they changed the whole pricing model of the website. Uh, of their servers, which obviously had, had nothing to do with with the usability of the website or whatever, but they looked at us. So, oh, hey, guys, zero. Uh, the, the conversion is going down. What what should we do? Well, we have this whole list of uh, currently fifty items <laughs> that you haven't implemented yet. All, all improvements of the website. Let's do that. So they they picked up all these items in one uh, two sprint, uh, a two week sprint, and I think conversion jumped jumped from. So there were a price comparison uh, websites. The I think the comp uh, the conversion was before that was like thirty two ish percent clickouts. And after implementing those 50 changes, they were up to 43. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a massive difference. Yeah. All sm all, and all small changes. Yeah, Nothing yeah. And it, and it all adds up though, doesn't it? So, yeah. Um, yeah, but with, but with Agile particularly um, as well, you know, just on a sort of a bigger level than what I was just talking about, the thing with Agile is that, you know, you, you know in, in a company like Sky, you know, you've got, um, uh, you know, very, very big, team of developers split into different sort of squads and tribes and all this kind of stuff. And um, really, the, the the one of the original concepts of Agile based on the manifesto is that it's about um, those sort of little groups 
of people working as a sort of an autonomous unit and being responsible for that product or area of the website or whatever and having a level of autonomous control over it and and you know if it's going to work the way it's really supposed to work that that autonomous unit should be feeding directly from customer insight and customer data and adapting the product um, accordingly. And that's how it's meant to work, right? I mean, it doesn't always work like that. Like, you know, when people say they've got agile, it really often isn't like that. It's, you know, it's, it's a way for seemingly people more senior to get things done faster than they would have otherwise done. Um, however, that is how it's supposed to work. So, um, you know, uh, that, in its health should inherently be experimental because if the idea is you've got this, you know, this uh, product team, um, like, you know, product squad in an agile environment and, you know, that part of the manifesto that says iterative customer collaboration means that you should be uh, listening to customers and constantly feeding from customer data to understand what the improvements are that should be made. Well, that is research and analytics. That is customer research and analytics. And then, you know, the, the other parts of Agile, which are about MVP and all that sort of stuff, is ultimately about de-risking what's happening through gradually developing features in a way that they can be uh, iteratively tested and developed um, you know, in an iterative manner. And that's experimentation. So really, like, you know, if you really purely look at the Agile manifesto, then Agile and experimentation are, are the same thing, effectively. They are, it, that is what it's supposed to be about. So for that reason, you know, you, you almost, you know, you almost shouldn't, you know, if you just look at it on a very, very pure way, you shouldn't really need to embed ex experimentation into it because it already it already is or it already should be that. So now, is it mainly a branding problem that we have as CROs? I think it's a... <laughs> yeah, the, the 100% is a branding problem, but I think it's more... It's more um, that, you know, Agile isn't and hardly ever is implemented in the way that it was probably originally intended. Um, you know, it's, it's very often just simply seen as a way of working for developers. Uh, and, um, you know, if you think that like pure way it's meant to work is you've got this autonomous team that are constantly like, you know, feeding off customer data and developing things. Well, that's not really how it works. Like, you know, you've got a little squad of developers and they get given stuff to do by, um, ultimately a business owner via a product owner um, and um, and that stuff gets prioritized according to who shouts the loudest and things like that in the organization and um, none of it would ever really get tested because you know somebody's said do it so uh, the and the and the whether we test it or not it has to be done anyway yeah exactly <laughs> so um, and and in that respect you know the the agile team will yeah. be kind of will be diso disassociated from the responsibility of whatever it is that they're producing. So, you know, like um, the, the, it's an agile team in an engineering department that is um, delivering stuff that they're told to by the marketing team or yeah. by the, um, you know, the sales team or whatever. And so they're almost like a kind of a little internal agency that is just, funded by somebody yeah. else to do stuff and, and in that it's respect, also very de demotivating right for those people 
Absolutely, yeah. Especially, especially when they, I think, are acutely aware of what of the way agile is meant to work. And, yeah. and so, yeah, you've got this, you know, you've got this sort of um, world where it's a little, it's a little bit like, you know, an, a, a, a company using an external dev agency where that dev agency will not typically challenge what it is that they're asked to do. They'll just do it. And then, you know, and, and also why would you then as that, as that engineering team want to test those things because you're not responsible for the commercial yeah. output of them. And, uh, you know, so that, that's where it all kind of goes astray, really. Um, you know, when then just back to your very original question, like when, when I actually talk about emb- embedding experimentation to agile, it comes from that place where, you know, most people have probably got, um, a CRO team over here and then, uh, you know, a, a, a agile developers or an external agency even. And just back to what I was saying before, you know, here's this big list of stuff that they're working on and then here's CRO over here. And really, like, what, what it should be about is, is like I say, just stripping away the concept of, of CRO temporarily and saying, right, you know, what is going on here is you've got research and analysis and data that should be telling us the kinds of stuff that we should be doing. And and a process of testing and learning that um, that basically de-risks what we're actually doing. And so when I when I talk about embedding it in that level, it's just bringing those things together. You've got if you've got a CRO team over there and you've got engineers over there, you've got what you need. You just haven't put them together in the right way. So you've got the expertise at data analytics and uh, user testing and research and things like that. You've then got the expertise at how to form that into ideas and prioritize ideas and all that sort of stuff and you've got the developers to help execute it you just haven't brought them together in the right way um so if that's if that's a situation that you encounter uh, at, a, at a prospect or new client uh where do you start um i think it's just you know so we dem- generally tend to kind of start with what i was saying at the beginning around like the economics of it like you know you try and get people mm-hmm. to understand the economics of it and and the fact that there that they are doing things to the website, you know, that even though they seem like no brainers could be having a detrimental effect. And, and then the other thing that the other thing I really try and get to get across to people is that it's not actually that difficult. Like, I think, you know, um, you have conversations around this sort of stuff with people, like, you know, uh, senior people in businesses and, you know, their, their minds sort of saying to them, oh, transformation project. And, you know, it sounds really complicated and business transformation and, you know, we're going to have to get McKinsey in or something. And, um, and it isn't, it isn't really that hard. It's just about, you know, at the end of the day, when you really, really strip it down to what it is, it is better prioritizing the queue of stuff going into web development. That's literally it. Like, you know, you've got a queue of stuff. You've got Jira with a big list of stuff in that the team are going to, that the engineers are going to work through. What is the best way to A, put stuff into that list and B, organize that list so that they are working on it in the right way and giving us commercial output, the best commercial output. And that is ultimately all it is, right? That is what it is. That's, that's the absolute output of experimentation. Um, and, so get them to see that, it all becomes a little bit more simple. Um, and then, you know, the idea of just reorganizing people and things like that gets a bit easier. But, you know, then you've got kind of questions of like, um, what's the right model for it? Um, you know, do you, 
um, try and sort of democratize it and get product teams actually running experiments? Or do you have a, a small team that is, you know, running experimentation for them? You know, that, that's where I come back to this idea of, of properly embedding experimentation, which is in, in a way what, what, we, um, what we managed to do at Sky to an extent, which is that, you know, you really going back to the idea of what Agile is, you should have a uh, conversion or optimization or experimentation kind of consultant or whatever you want to call them that is aligned to each different product area. And their responsibility is ultimately um, feeding research analysis and ideas into the product team and mm -hmm. to an extent alongside the product owner managing the process of of that of experimentation and what gets built and how it gets experimented on and the and how you go from sort of you know small test to big test and stuff like that and that is their role within that within that team and if those yeah. if all of those if all of those different um, consultants are either are actually literally you know together a team under some sort of general line management or they are just a virtual team. Um, you know, depending on what the reporting, reporting structures are, then they can all work together to ensure the development of that function of that that concept in the business. Yeah. Um, now, I think that's really important because, again, going back to that idea of agile being sort of autonomous units, I don't think generally um, people working in a proper agile way like um, outside. Uh, input if they can help it because that is the con that is you know really what agile is supposed to be it's supposed to be they're responsible for that and it, and if you if you're able to put that within the squad and to make it a part of the squad and to involve everybody in it so that you know literally at daily stand-ups they're discussing the experimentation process and discussing what gets tested on and all this kind of stuff then um that that you know to me works much better and gets much much better output and you know I, I think not doing that you would find a fair amount of resistance um if you know if it's just uh, somebody over in that bi team like over there who does experimentation is kind of telling us what we should test on and stuff like that yeah then you know you get a lot more resistance to it for that yeah so uh, yeah, I, I usually uh, see in Zero, uh, especially it's also or the Zero team as, as as the the body that advises the the, the product manager on, on what to do, but it's still the product manager's choice if they're going to implement it or not because it's not the Zero team. We cannot necessarily see the whole impact of implementing some something and all the business impacts of that. I mean, uh, the, the development or the logistics on on creating something. We can say, okay, this this is the impact it will have on your users. But then it's still going to be um, uh, up to the product owner to decide. Okay, are we actually? Does it make business sense to do it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like, the other the other interesting part is like you know you got on the on on one end of the scale, if you have a if you have a CRO team um, that have too much um, responsibility for actually executing every single part of the process. Then they become a real bottleneck. So if, if every sort of product manager or product owner has to sort of go and say, right, we want to test this now. And can you develop this test? And, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's going through a bottleneck. Then it becomes a bottleneck. But it, you know, the, the, the absolute opposite of that is you just give testing capabilities to every different product team, uh, and allow everybody to test everything. 
then that's completely anarchic and you know you haven't you've you've got people running tests who aren't really that skilled in things like how to measure them and all that sort of stuff so the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle which is um you know you might have a little center of excellence or somebody at least who is responsible for really you know developing things like ways of measuring and processes that can be shared around other sort of teams um, and then you've got, like I say, that sort of federated view where where you've got individual people who are aligned to those different squads who are, you know, helping that process and 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 helping each squad run their tests. Then you've kind of got the best of both worlds. I mean, that's you know highly dependent on the organisation itself and the way it's structured and what's right for it. But I think that's that's ultimately the goal with that sort of embedded view is that you've got that balance between having experts having having real experts who are, you know, like maybe, you know, just sort of simply championing the whole thing to expertise in each squad that's actually helping deliver it. And then ultimately you are really empowering the agile squads and the engineers to, to really ultimately sort of deliver against it. Marketing budgets have suffered and the share for A-B testing has been impacted too. If you want to keep testing to enterprise standards, but save 80% on your annual contract, you can consider Convert.com. With their summer release, you can take advantage of full stack and hybrid features, strong privacy compliance, no blink, and enterprise-grade security. Feel good about your smart business decision. Invest what you save back in your zero program. Check out www.convert.com slash 2020 besides the 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 mindset that people have and, and of course they're they're uh they're used to uh, a way of working that might not be completely agile um what do you see are the biggest bottlenecks to to achieving this uh, for companies yeah i think well like i say i think just um a, a fear of uh of the complexity of change um mm-hmm. so you know and, and you know and i get that like in big organizations kind of changing things and restructuring things can seem really really complicated um but you know it, it, if you really break it down it doesn't have to be that difficult really um i think the other one is just is is it, it's an unknown unknown uh and, and just like i was saying earlier on like i you know i I, I kind of have this mission to try and sort of open people's eyes to the fact that this can be like a way, way better way of working that can drive like a massive amount of innovation. But I think, you know, there's a lot of cases where like, just like I say, people don't know that that's even a, a potential, like, you know, they, they wouldn't, it just wouldn't cross their mind. It's not like, it's not like they sort of think, oh, you know, I wish we were like booking.com and all that kind of stuff. They're just not even that really aware of it at all as a thing. So I think, you know, you've, 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 you've got to kind of show people that it is a possibility before they can even start to think about, um, how the change might happen. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, the other big thing is just sort of, uh, different bits of cultural resistance to it. And just like I say, that, that can ultimately boil down to different sort of political ways of working within the organization, different things about responsibilities and stuff like that, where, you know, uh, who feels like they own what and, you know, how do you then, um, you know, introduce something new to that? And, you know, you've, you've got to think about all that, but, um, yeah, it gets, it gets harder as the organization gets bigger, but, you know, I think 
really the way I the way I often advise people to start out with this is just to is to start testing things and particularly to start trying and test really sort of uh, contentious things. So you know if you if you can find two senior people arguing about the design of a page or something like that and test it, then it, you know it's it's like um, you already know they care about it. <laughs> yeah, well, and also, uh, you know, one of them will be annoyed by the result, but, um, you know, it's it, it just massively raises the profile of experimentation. Yeah. It just, you know, like the more the more you can get people involved in things. And, and even if, you know, even if the one that it doesn't win, you can then show, well, here, look, here's all this data that we got off the back of it. And, you know, you, you know, there, there is some legs in your idea if you do it this slightly different way, you know, and you, so you kind of show the process of how, um, of how that sort of learning aspect yeah. of it works then you know that i think is how you just start to chip away and get people interested you need to uh, you need to stay away from making it uh, personal i think it shouldn't be a personal attack on someone you got it wrong yeah uh you have the the the, the wrong ideas about this you should probably stay away from that yeah absolutely yeah you can yeah you uh, i mean that 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 is well you know that that's that's the other interesting thing about it like the you, you that 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 can only be a problem if people have that sort of cultural fear of failure you know like yeah. you know the, which which often is the case yeah, right absolutely. i mean if, if, if you say to uh, i don't know a, a marketer or that their campaign was was unsuccessful or the, to the designer that their design didn't work that often feels like a personal attack and, and and people might choke on that yeah absolutely and like you know i think a lot of in a lot of businesses the whole the whole sort of hierarchical nature of business itself, like, um, you know, really sort of leads people to think, well, I've been hired into this really senior position. I've been hired because of my expertise and I've got to demonstrate my expertise and my, yeah. and my ability to come up with ideas. And if those ideas are sort of proven to not work through a test, then yeah, that doesn't look good. But again, like that's why, um, as with any kind of experimentation, the most most important thing is the is the post research that you do afterwards. Because what you can learn, you know, like from even something that loses, can have such a massive dramatic impact, like on on something going forward. So that's the most important thing to try and get across is that the you know it's not a test that doesn't win. It's not a failure. It's a very very important piece of data and will lead to something successful. So therefore. Yeah in a way that idea was a good idea always is a good idea because you know you're going to learn something from it so you uh, you just mentioned uh, uh, resources um the, assuming uh, like an, an average mid-sized uh, company um what kind of resources do they need what would the team look like if if you have a free hand in in um, um combining a team uh, what skill sets need to, need to be there to have this in a in a proper agile way in in a way that they can really make make some uh, difference? Yeah, yeah. I I usually sort of present it in sort of three chunks, really, and well, maybe four, but like I you know I kind of think of it as um, as three broad areas, which is um, research and analytics, design and creative, and um, development basically and mm-hmm. um there are you know you can map out a whole set of different skill sets in each of those three broad categories that you need 
for uh, a any CRO function to develop. And but that doesn't sort of necessarily say where those skills should sit. And and in a really small company, they could you know you could try you could you could try your best to find one person who can do all of them. Um, yeah. But in a bigger company, there might be skills that are distributed across different teams that all need to come together in different ways. Yeah. So, you know, in in in, in research and in a, an analytics, you've got digital analytics. You've got, um, uh, you know, you might need like sort of more traditional offline data analytics for CRM data and stuff like that. Uh, there's user psychology, um, user research. You know, you can go through all these different sorts of things. Um, design and creative, obviously, like the most important thing really is 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 essentially like um, copywriting, probably. Um, you know, you can get quite far without really using what you might call UX design or visual design, but eventually you are going to need those skills. Um, you've then got things like more sort of broad design thinking. And then, you know, in development, well, you know, again, you can get reasonably far without anything. Well, you know, if you're using a WYSIWYG editor and you've got a basic yeah. sort of site. <laughs> but, you know, then sort of very quickly, you're going to need front-end developer. Um, eventually, you might need back-end development of some description. Um, and then alongside that, there's always the whole kind of thing of tagging and then tool implementation and stuff like that. So there's a whole range of skills like that. And um, you... You know, any organization thinking seriously about CRO just needs to think, where, what is our plan for where we get all this stuff um, in the short, medium, and long term? And, you know, for a large organization, all those things probably exist somewhere. It's just, is there the process and the ability and the license for those things to be utilized where they're needed? So, you know, you, you may well have... Um, skilled digital analysts that sit within some sort of central BI team associated with Adobe Analytics or something yeah. like that. Um, and they may not well be, you know, really structurally part of anything to do with um, their website development, which is a bit weird, but they might not be. But so, you know, what, how, if, if this CRO functional team, whatever it looks like, needs to use kind of advanced digital analytics then how are they getting that and like how is that sort of being almost cross-charged and paid for or whatever or you know it does is that structure right so that's you know you kind of have to map out like this is the this is the resource that's needed and where it comes from um and yeah again uh with that sort of embedded agile model like you know agile teams are always going to lean on the resources from other areas uh, you know, you might have a, a specific user experience design and visual design team. So, you know, how does that work? Like, what's the internal commercials of it almost? Like, how do, how do they get time and how do they secure time from them? You know, you have to think yeah. of it almost like, almost like designing a little business within the business. And going, you know, these are the resources we need. And, yeah, you know, exactly. um, there's, you know, like what I always advise people is things like, you know, you you can get you can get quite far just using Fiverr and things like that, you know, freelancers and stuff. Um, so, you know, again, thinking about that map, you got to think, so, well, like, wh where can we just start to get bits of this resource from externally until such a point when we know we need to hire it internally? Yeah, 
Exactly. And you, you can just hire those skills, right? I mean, it's important to have some knowledge build up uh, inside of your company. But execution, uh, you can just, uh, especially in the beginning, you can just outsource. Yeah. Yeah, Jeremy. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, our hour together has uh, flown past. Yeah, that's come really um, quick. <laughs> some of the, uh, I think there's a lot of interesting information. I think it, it can help a lot of uh, people uh, if they come to a company where Agile is already implemented, that they can just reframe this as uh, maybe it's not a scary new thing that we're trying to do, or it's just trying to do Agile properly. <laughs> yeah, I think that that might ha- help uh, a lot of people uh, in uh, in achieving uh, their goals in and embedding zero and experimentation yeah. uh, in agile yeah um so you've been uh, been in this uh, working in this field for quite some time now so one of my final question for you will be um what's the in- insight that you think you might have that others in the industry don't have um so i think you know that you see that a, a hell of a lot of people working in cro if, as we call it um have not ever really had the client side experience um and you know i think i think traditionally um cro is a kind of a black box thing where you know like as a consultant or an agency you would go to a company and say we'll go away and do this testing for you and come and tell you what tell you what works and i think we're on a tipping point where that is just you know not going to be what people see CRO as in the future. I think, um, you know, it, it ultimately is something that should best sit in-house and should be controlled within within the business because what it is is really a way of working around web development and, and digital innovation. And so, you know, but but making that work in a business and the things that the things that you need to change in order to do that is a very specific thing. And, and, um, having done that, having built that client side, um, and, you know, with all of the consulting work that I used to do as well. Um, I think that's really the sort of thing that I can bring to the table is how do you adapt and structure internally in an organization in order to make it work. Um, and plus that just gives you, you know, that, that just gives you a hell of a lot of insight um, about how to do the day job, I guess, as well in, in, a, in different yeah. ways and how to, how to kind of ultimately make it work. So um, that's really what, what yeah, a big part of what we sort of say is our USP as an agency. And, and every single person that works for me is ex-client side in exactly the same way as well. Um, and that's part, part of how yeah. we kind of go out and solve what we do. So. Yeah, nice. And my final question for you, um, who should I invite on the podcast? <laughs> who inspires you? Who will be a good um, guest uh, to share their experience here? It's, well, John Crowder, who works for me, um, is uh, absolutely brilliant in this sort of field, but he's also um, just a really great personality. So, you know, he will be a, it would be a really interesting person to have on. Um, and, and what should we talk about? Uh, I think, well, you'd have to ask him, but I think, so he's, he is on, on the side, a, um, uh, in, a, in a couple of rock bands and stuff like that. So, um, he, you know, just has a lot of, um, so, so he's a proper zero rock star. <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> can't imagine he would ever want to call himself that, but yes, he is. <laughs> uh, nice. So yeah, something around that. Um, 
Cool. Uh, so yeah. if you can introduce us, then uh, we'll uh, connect and see if we can uh, uh, work something out for the podcast. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. No problem. And um, talk to you again soon. Great. Thank you Thanks. very much. And this concludes Season 2, Episode 45 of the Zero Fate Podcast with Johnny Longdon from Journey Further. Next Monday, I talk with Pep Laia, founder at CXL, and we're going to talk about testing your website copy. Talk to you then, and always be optimizing.